Okay, I'm going to start at the end in a way. The end is that jigsaw strategy is by far one of the most effective strategies that we as teachers can use. I'll talk a little bit today about how I got to that, the research, and I will talk about how I have adapted the jigsaw strategy in my classroom. So that is the plan for today, and I'm really excited to share my ideas with you. So let's go. Welcome to Anti-Burnout for English Teachers. I'm Danielle Hicks, and I am your host. I will be in this podcast going over tips and strategies to avoid burnout. Being an English teacher is so tough, and we really need to join together and figure out ways that we can continue to build a great English classroom and also not feel depleted by the end of the year. So let's go. A lot of what I'm going to talk about today, or at least the research portion, is based on the research that John Hattie um, completed for visual learning for teachers. So he spent 15 years doing um, collecting data about all of the different factors that can influence a student's learning. Some of those we have nothing to do with. It's like home background. Um, some of it is like biological, how they were raised or how like nutritional factors. Some of it is like um, whether they have ADHD or on medication or not. There are also factors that we have maybe some influence over as far as school culture and maybe the um, total efficacy of your entire staff. So you contribute to it, but you don't have a lot of, um, you know, control over how effective your whole staff is, how, how effective your leadership is, school climate, that kind of thing are all factors that go into student success. There are also some things that we have a lot of control over. So the instructional strategies that we use, we have control over that. And we also have control over a little bit of the, the student learning, um, like what, what we, the way we teach students how to learn. So I decided when I looked at John Hattie's research, so there's this They looked at um, 150 plus what they call effects, and then they gave each of those a numerical value, so it has an effect size. When we average the student effects that a teacher can contribute to, it averages to 0.4. So what they said, or what Hattie says, is that Anything that is above 0.4 has a positive effect on increasing or accelerating learning. Makes sense to me as a non-math person. So anything above 0.4 is good. Actually, and even what's at 0.4 is good because that would be like what would be expected in a normal year. So this came out in 2012 And the research has been updated since then. 
And what I did as like in 2012, as I looked at all of these effect sizes and I said, okay, so if I were to take the most effective of the strategies and really learn how to do those really, really well, that would mean that I would become a really effective teacher. So there were some that I just liked. I chose of the ones that were above 0.4, the ones that appealed to me most, and then incorporated those into my classroom more. So we have, what have I done? I'm looking at my list. Okay, so cooperative learning is at 0.4, which is not high, right? That's just like at status, but it's higher than individualistic or competitive. So I thought that that was a good one to incorporate. And then the next one, the next highest is 0.48, and that is questioning. So those are by far the lowest ones that I chose because I wanted to be a high achiever. So I was like, let me pick the highest ones, right? Okay, so I chose metacognition, which is 0.6, and cognitive tasks. And what that means is looking at a strategy or looking at a topic and trying to understand how to think about the topic. So looking at it from different perspectives, I consider like if you're looking at critical lenses and looking at if we're talking about literature, looking at it from those different, if you could see me, I'm kind of like doing a little bit of a like turning a, an imaginary image around. So just looking at it from different perspectives and understanding like um, if I were to look at it from a feminist lens or a Marxist lens or whatever that may be. So that would be a way of thinking about learning and also breaking up tasks. So thinking about if we're talking about literary analysis, the ways that we can approach it. So we can approach it by that, like the literary lenses, we can look at it in a, um, we're going to look at it in a language way, yada, yada. So thinking about different ways to approach a task and how to think about how to learn about it. Um, and that has actually a 1.29 effect size. So very, very high. And then we have class discussion is 0.82. Um, feedback is 0.7. Scaffolding is 0.82. Obviously, these are in no order. And then um, response to intervention is 1.29. And what I decided to do at that time is I had an open revision policy. So that would help me to target for students. So I would revise and then I'd also have some maybe videos that I would point them to or um, I'd have them do a different task in order to get comprehension before they revised. So that was my re response to intervention strategy. Um, evaluation and reflection, that is 0 0.75. And those were really the ones that I focused on in addition to this powerhouse, which is the jigsaw strategy, which is 1.2. Now, okay, so I did say that there were a couple that I am doing that I chose 
back in the day that are higher, that cognitive tasks in response to intervention, but really I consider them to be pretty similar because we have 1.2, 1.29, 1.29. So jigsaw strategy is what I'm going to focus on today. As I said in the intro, um, I did also want to point out some of the things that are actually quite low. So um, subject matter knowledge, amazingly, is 0.11. So that makes me think, so not really knowing the content, but being able to deliver it well, I guess that's what that means. So you don't really need to be, like, I guess if you have a PhD, but you're a poor teacher, then that it doesn't matter. Your students don't learn, which makes a lot of sense. Um, I also found when I was looking at all of these effect sizes that the impl implementation method, like whether they use computers or at this time, like clickers or visual audio, like that didn't really make that much of a difference. So I said, okay, it doesn't really matter what I use. So I'm going to use what I'm most comfortable with and really focus on these other things that I mentioned before, these teaching strategies. Also, something that I found kind of interesting, this is a little bit of an aside. Um, remember, 0 0.4 is the just baseline. And teacher-student relationships is 0 0.52, which is a potential accelerator, but it's nowhere near as high as like using the jigsaw strategy. So 0 0.52 is teacher-student relationships and 1.2 is jigsaw strategy. So it shows what a banger jigsaw strategy is that it um, it really has the, po the potential to accelerate learning. And if we do math, that means that potentially if we are doing it efficiently and effectively and also frequently then we can accelerate a student's learning by three so they could learn three years worth of knowledge in our one year by using the jigsaw strategy so so much bang for the buck here um i also really like the jigsaw strategy because not only is it a powerhouse as far as effectiveness and the potential for student learning, it also is a really good way to optimize classroom time because you're able to cover so much more information in a short period of time. Let me back up a second. So what is the jigsaw strategy actually? So the way that this works, and I did a little bit of background on the history too, and I was really interested to find out that it is only, it's a relatively new strategy. It was developed in 1971 and it was developed in Austin, Texas at University of Texas for the purpose of the diffusing racial tension in recently segregate, desegregated schools. So I found that to be really, really interesting because when you think about it, it does make it so that students are interdependent. They really, really have to depend on each other. 
And it also means that there are so many students that have to interact with one another. So it makes sense to me that this strategy would help to do something that was, um, you know, that SEL kind of strategy as well. And as a result, when we use it in our classrooms, it really does help to increase classroom community and interdependence in a way that's really positive. Okay, so back to what jigsaw actually is. So if you think about a jigsaw puzzle, not the jigsaw saw, um, you think about different pieces coming together. And that is what happens with the jigsaw strategy. So you take you're going to have two sets of groups. So first what happens is you assign students to, let's say we have 30 students. So we are going to assign um, five groups. So we're going to have six students in each of five groups. And then, so in the five groups, we'll have six students, as I said again, and they'll be assigned a topic or a piece, like a section of a text to become an expert on. So they first do the work individually. So they might read a passage, they get a good understanding of it, and then they meet with everyone else that has read that passage. So the other six students that have read that passage. And then what they're supposed to do is construct knowledge. Make sure that they're they're all understanding it really well. It might involve doing some additional research. It might mean that they are... Um, Actually, another way to do it would be to, like, if we were going to have a topic, like, let's say we're doing, um, I'm thinking about Great Gatsby. So let's say we were going to do something about 1920s culture. So we would say, all right, you are going to be learning about, um, I don't know, prohibition gangsters. So you could give them six different articles about prohibition gangsters and then together they'd have to like be like okay what is this topic really about and they put that presentation together or you could give them the same material and they're trying to understand that material so there's different ways to do that um so they would come up with some kind of product it could be notes it could be like a graphic organizer or whatever but they're coming up with some kind of product to demonstrate their knowledge about that topic and that's called our expert group so then we have jigsaw groups, which contain one of each of those five groups. So it's another group of six, but it's completely different students. So we can see that what's happened now is student, our students have worked with how many students? They've worked with um, 10 students in the class. So a class of 30, they've worked with 10 students. That's awesome. They've, you do that a couple times and you can see that they get a lot of exposure to working with different students. So that's one of the ways that this really works to increase student community and also makes it so that they're dependent on the other students. Okay. So now they're in their jigsaw groups and they have a 
synthesis task. So they have to teach each other their content knowledge, like what they worked on in their expert groups, and then they turn it around to take... Okay, so what they did originally is they would take a quiz. Like, it would be, like, a multiple-choice quiz. And then um, they would get a score for it. So they really had to learn it because they were dependent on their fellow students, their peers, to learn the material and then turn it around to get a good grade on it. So the quality of the instruction that they got from their peers directly related to how well they did on this quiz. There was a little bit of research or um, adaptation of this strategy about a decade and a half later where they would say, okay, we're going to give a quiz. Um, You're going to get a score for that individual, but then you also get an average of all the people that are in the jigsaw group. So you get two scores, one your individual score and then the other the average score so it further emphasizes the importance of your whole group doing well okay so there's the strategy in a nutshell I did this a lot actually I had a professor that loved the jigsaw strategy which I totally understand has a high effect size but um The way that it was implemented and the way that I learned about it um, meant that I didn't really see the application beyond nonfiction or the way that I just explained it and like maybe using it contextually. But as I thought more and more about the strategy, I realized that thinking about it in a slightly different way and then broadening it meant that it applied really well to fiction and fiction study. So here's the way I'm thinking about it. If you just back up and think about what these different pieces are doing, we have the expert groups, which are becoming an expert on some specific part of a whole. So in literature studies that might mean that they're really getting to understand a character or they're really getting to understand maybe a literary device or a style or um, maybe even a theme or a chapter um, a motif you know they're looking at something very specific and then the jigsaw groups are taking all of those specific things and synthesizing it into something and then they have some kind of assessment which takes a look or assesses their synthesized knowledge. So what I've come to is that so you have we've done lots of synthesized activities right so you just choose some kind of synthesized activity and then build an assessment around that, break down the different tasks that go with it, have groups just focus on that task and then come back to the synthesized whole. We can do even things like, this is not literature, but we could look at grammar. So 
I don't know about you, but I find it a little bit overwhelming how much my students do not know about grammar. So they could take a look at maybe different types of sentences. Could say, you guys are going to be looking at complex compound sentences. Or maybe maybe that would be too hard for them um, to do as a jigsaw, but maybe they could look at different parts of speech and they could look at different types of punctuation. They could look at um, lots of things that would be breakdowns of grammar and then put it together to do um, identifying sentences or writing sentences of different types, identifying um I think that would make sense. So once you do the parts of speech and the punctuation, then as a jigsaw group, they could make those compact, compound sentences, simple sentences, whatever. They have a set that they're able that they're asked to come up with. So lots of ways that they can adapt these. Um, I will say though that jigsaws if you have not done them before can be a little tricky since you're doing the switches twice students can get confused if you don't have systems around it what i've come up with are a couple things so i call one set a letter and the other set a number so i'll call expert groups letters so I'll say your group A, your group B, your group C. And then when we switch, we'll go to group one, two, three, four. And that helps them to understand that they're different because otherwise they're like, wait, why is this? It makes sense to me, um, but it does sometimes confuse the teenagers. I also have around my room some signs that have both the letters and the numbers so I can... Um, they have the visual where I can say, okay, go over to letter A. So everybody that is in that group kind of moves over to there. I also project the groups on the board or on the smart board, and I don't give them all the groups at the same time. That was a big mistake that I made at the beginning. I'd be like, okay, first you're going to be A, and then you're going to be two. And they'd be like, what? So, um, telling them, okay, we're just going to do A groups right now, or we're going to do letter groups right now. You're in letter A, B, C, D, E, and then they go there. And then once we're ready to change, then I give them the next set of instructions and have them move to the new groups. So they don't even really understand if this is the first time that they're doing it, that they're moving to a group where everybody's going to have a different task, um, or they've learned a different aspect until they get there and see their new task. So I have a couple of ways that I've implemented this for literature that I wanted to talk to you all about. Um, I have actually two items in my TPT store, which are specific to The Great Gatsby, but really I think they would work for any piece of literature. I, um, Okay, as I said, I have two. So the first one is a Instagram. It's set up as an Instagram assignment, but really what it is is a character study and living tableaus. So the first thing that they do is they 
Um, it, it's actually a twist because they start in their home groups and then go to the expert groups and then go back to the home group. So what they would do first in their home groups is the visual tableau. So I have the text split up into 12 sections. So they take 12 images where they have like each person in their group would be a character through all of the different pictures. So they just create those scenes and take a picture. And that would be on that person's camera roll. So everyone has a camera roll. And then what they do is they split up into characters. So everyone that was Daisy would go to a group together. And then they'd look at all those pictures. They look at all those pictures and then they decide which pictures show them the way they would want to be seen. And then they take those and make some Instagram posts. So they make like a static image. They make a carousel and they choose a quote from the text that that character would want to show thinking about their camera roll. And then they go back to their jigsaw groups and kind of discuss what happened in their expert group. So the jigsaw was like where it started. And then they go back to do really that jigsaw work of the reflection, like, okay, now that you've all come together, what do you see now in your pictures? And was there anything that, um, like you, did your picture work better than another one? Because everybody that was Daisy, like they were in different tableaus. So they're looking at how other people interpreted that text. And when they come back, they could have that to discuss like, okay, like the, there was a group that did X instead of Y. And it was interesting because we didn't do anything like that because we were thinking about it a completely different way. So um, that could lead to some really nice discussion and has in the past. So, um, that's one of the assignments that I've had. And like I said, I, I think that could really work for literally any assignment, just breaking it up into pieces and then thinking about, um, just how they want to be seen versus like what's in the, what's happening in the scene and doing that living tableau. And I think, you know, obviously that's a different take on that than what would be done traditionally, which would be just reading some texts and or maybe doing some research but it has a little bit more um you know interactivity to it another idea um that you might want to implement something that i've had a lot of fun with is using images to have students make connections so giving so students have read a text um and they, for this assignment, actually, the one that's in my TPT store for each of the passages, which I've, it's still broken up into 12, they have three images. And so the groups would have two different passages that they're going to, like, it's two rounds. So they'll have, like, if they're in six groups, they have two rounds where they'll do, like, a passage from um, 
the first half and then a passage from the second half. And each passage is paired with a set of images. So they have three images each. They choose one of those images and explain how their passage relates to the image. So that's the first thing that they do. And then um, what they would do after that is come together and take some notes, share their ideas, and then um, use those to create a idea sort. So looking at it as a synthesis, what do we see in all of those? And what ideas do we see in common? How can we um, sort them and categorize them so that we can show something new so it's a synthesis of ideas so the same way that that original jigsaw worked and that you're becoming an expert on something and then sharing it with your group and then having a assessment that's happening here too but just in a a very i don't know different kind of way that would be new and fresh for students for those assignments, too, I use the same conventions, like using the letters. Um, and actually, I have it color-coded, too. So it's easier to point students to what part of the assignment they're working on. So in this case, I have it all in one slide deck. So I'd say, okay, now we're going to look at the blue slides. So find your blue slide, and we're going to do this first part of the task. Now we're going to find the red slide and on your red slide you're going to take notes and then on your green slide we're going to do that sort and synthesis so having that color coded with the different steps is really helpful for um, directing students to the right place so that is what i have for you today um i hope this is really helpful um I hope that you try the jigsaw method if you are not already using it in your classroom. If you are, I'd love to hear how you're using it. If you are not and you're interested in trying it, I'd love to hear your ideas of how you're going to implement it. If you have any questions about anything that I said today or how to best use jigsaw or any, you know, any questions you have, feel free, please shoot me a message on Instagram. I'm at English Classroom Architect, and I'd love to hear from you there. Until then, I will talk to you next week. Thanks.